again with our time of prayer. And I want to welcome you who are here tonight and you who are watching live stream. I'm glad you're joining us tonight. If you have a prayer list, uh, let me uh, rehearse that list for us and then we'll pray. And then we're going to cover the book of Matthew in about 22 minutes tonight. Can you believe that? Uh, we're going to give it a shot anyway. Uh, we're, we're calling it uh, you know, Matthew from 30,000 feet. Uh, we're going to take the high view. We're going to look at uh, the, the uh, big picture tonight. And in the hospital tonight, we want to pray uh, for Madola Hudson. And then uh, we thank you for putting Rose under the special concern. Uh, she got the uh, word today, got an appointment today. She meets with the surgeon. The 12th of March, and from there they will set up surgery date. So uh, we appreciate so much your prayer for her as she gets ready to have that knee replaced. Uh, on home we have Rosemary Joyner, Carrie Cates, D. Love, and Joe Lavelle. Is that Lavender? Lavender. Uh, and of course, we want to pray, continue to pray for our pastor search committee. Chad Tillman and Casey Lyson, Gary Brown, Chad Hutchison, Whitney Goldsby, Gail Rice, and Brent Ford. Under senior care, Alice Ball, Doug Brassfield, Doris Brassfield, Dave Farrar, Bobby Cates, Rosalie Floyd, Helen Edelman, Martha Gregory, Cheryl Johnson, Madola Hudson, Nikki Love, Patricia Nolan, Lois Sweat, Hazel Spiegel, Mildred Skelton, Edie Thompson, Dan Woodbridge, Esther Ellis, Holly Williams, Carolyn Burkhead, and Dan Redman. I'm going to believe for the Harry Chris Bradley, Dana Hall, Kelly Cook, Brandon Boxley, and Megan, is that Sharon? Sharon. Okay. Now, are there any others that need to be added to this list or any comments you need to make on anything that Thank you that you 
Now that's interesting to me because it's a great, to me, a great indication of humility. Another kind of mark of humility from Matthew is that when Mark and Luke refer to Matthew and Thomas, they always refer to it in that order. But whenever Mark or Luke refers to Matthew and Thomas, talking about the other apostles, Matthew is always stated first. But when Matthew talks about it, he always says Thomas and then Matthew. Now those are just little incidental, almost anecdotal things that you probably don't hardly notice, but yet they speak to the issue of humility in the life. And so that's true. Mark and Luke tell us that Matthew opened up his home and gave a great feast. <laughs> that's what Mark and Luke said. Now, after Matthew responded to the call, and Jesus came on the tax collector's side and said, Follow me. And Matthew just immediately got up and followed him. And it says that the first thing Matthew did, uh, uh, Luke and Mark rather say, the first thing Matthew did is he gave a great feast. Again, it's just a little incidental anecdotal uh, note about his humility. In the three accounts of Jesus choosing the twelve, Mark and Luke call him Matthew, and only Matthew calls him just the same. So that's just uh, you know, just a little side note here. But Matthew was despised because he was a Jew who worked for the farm, the enemy who was in charge of Judea at the time when Jesus was born. That's the Roman government. Uh, I wish we had time. We won't take time. But the 400 years between the closing of Malachi and the opening of Matthew is traditionally called 400 silent years. But I think if we took the time, I could show you that while those were 400 years in which God did not speak, there was not a prophetic utterance for 400 years between the closing of Malachi and the opening of Matthew. Those 400 years were far from being silent. God behind the scenes was preparing the world for the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, there were four major world powers that, that were in force during that 400 years. Remember, Daniel had a vision of the, of the statue. Remember the vision that Daniel had? And the head was of gold, uh, and uh, the, the uh, uh, shoulders and all were of, were of silver, uh, and then the bronze uh, middle section. And the outer legs. And, and so that was the, the interpretation of that dream, or that vision was that there would be four world powers that would be in charge of God's people. That was Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar, and then Media Persia, who took charge, conquered, uh, uh, got, conquered Israel from Babylon. They were already in captivity. And then release them, let them go back. Ezra, Nehemiah, remember, went back to Jerusalem. And that's what the Old Testament closes. It closes with, with 
Persia, the new Persia, in charge. But then they were defeated by Greeks. They called it Alexander the Great. Greece conquered the Holy Land. And then when he died as a young man, he, his kingdom was divided into four different kingdoms. And they were in charge until later the Romans took over. That's the base of the Jacob. The head of gold, Babylon, uh, the neck of the media Persia, the bronze of Greece, and the legs of the mountains of the Jacob. So there was a major movement, but here's what happened with the people of Jesus. When the Old Testament closes, you never heard of the word synagogue. When the New Testament opens, there's a synagogue in every city. The synagogue was a meeting of Jewish people since their temple had been destroyed and their religion had been decentralized. They had no place to worship, so the synagogue was created wherever there was 10 male Jews, uh, that, that could, uh, adult male Jews, they could start a synagogue. And it was a place where the Word of God was taught. Although when the Old Testament closes, you've never heard the name Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin. But when the New Testament opens, then there are Pharisees and Sadducees saturating Jerusalem, and they are the Lord Jesus' worst enemies. So they grew up during that 40-year period. Now, here's the way God prepared the world. When the Old Testament closed, they were speaking Aramaic. It was a localized language that was not even written. So they were limited in how they could share when the New Testament opens, the universal language of Greece has been carried across the world. So the gospel no longer had a linguistic barrier. The gospel could be preached all over the whole world in a language that the lay people could understand through something else. That came from the Greeks. See, the Greeks made it believable. And then under Rome, who was their despised enemy, guess what happened? Under Rome, roads were built all over the Mediterranean that are still extant today. You can see Roman roads in the Holy Land today. Those roads made access from city to city easy and possible so that the gospel could travel. Not only that, Rome upheld what was called a pox. It was not a pox, but peace and enforced peace. Which meant that there weren't pirates and robbers and murderers. I mean, crime was held to a minimum because the law cracked down on crime. Lord Jesus, I wish you had it today. But anyway, so crime was at a minimum. Because crime didn't come in those days. So you could travel without threat of life. Here's another thing. The Romans developed in their rule a postal system second to none. So that the gospel could spread that way too. So I didn't mean to get into that. I thought it was a good thing. 
But I want you to see that when we don't think God got the notice of the movie, talk to God. When you think you can't see him or taste him or smell him, don't worry, it's still not God. God is sovereign. And he is our judge. Even if we don't know it at the time. And I tell you this, that's what happened to me. I would be a candidate for the church of God. If I didn't believe that the king of the Bible was going to be the way and the king of the Bible was going to be We looked at Matthew the man. Look at Matthew the method. When was it written? Well, some liberal scholars want to hold out that it was written in the fourth century. There's absolutely no reason to believe that. The early church fathers, Clement of Rome, Irenaeus, and others, they were quoting the Gospel of Matthew in the, in, in the second century. The Didache, which was, uh, which is, was the teaching book that was used from the apostles' teaching in the second century quotes the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, most conservative scholars believe that Matthew was written probably 50 to 55 A.D. It was written, we know, before 70 A.D. because that's when the temple was destroyed. Now there's two verses I want you to notice. In chapter 4 and verse 12, you'll notice that he says, he departed into Galilee. You see that? That's what you notice. There are two key verses in the Gospel of Matthew that locate Jesus geographically. Chapter 4, verse 12 says he departed into Galilee. And chapter 19, verse 1 says he departed from Galilee. Now, the dominant ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, unlike the Gospel of John, was centered in Galilee. Most of Matthew's gospel has Jesus in Galilee. Uh, so that's important because uh, that's where Matthew departs from the other two synoptics, Mark and Luke, in his, in his timeline. Matthew's timeline is different from Mark and Luke. Now, that's important for us to understand because some people get all messed up when they can't, when they can't harmonize uh, the gospel, and they get confused. Now, let, let, this helps me. Let me share this with you. The reason for that is Matthew is not at all concerned about chronology. Matthew builds his gospel around five major focuses. The first in the Gospel of Matthew. You probably can name them. Uh, okay, what would be the first and major 
discord are sermons that we find exclusively in Matthew's Gospel. We don't. We call it the Sermon on the Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Now, Mark doesn't have that. You see, Matthew, here's a good point for you to remember in Matthew's Gospel. Matthew focuses on what Jesus So Matthew gives us five different discourses, certain or partial sermons that Jesus gives. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Matthew chapter 10, when he gave his disciples uh, to go out and get the two by two. Uh, Matthew 18, when he talks about uh, forgiveness and, uh, and, 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 and discipline within the body of Christ. Matthew 24 and 25. What is that called? Remember the Olivet Discourse? It's all about the second coming of Jesus. In my opinion, my humble opinion is the highest point. <laughs> Matthew chapter 24 and 25 are two of the most difficult passages in the New Testament. Period. Fully done. If it is. Next week, if you look at Mark, you'll see that Mark focuses on what Jesus did. And you'll find that reading the Gospel of Mark, and I hope you'll read it for this. If you just read a couple of chapters a day, between now and next week, you can read the Gospel of Mark. And, and, and look at 12 out of 16 chapters begins with the word in, straightway, or immediately. It's like, it's like watching a film. And Mark doesn't give us discourse. He gives us action. Jesus did this, and Jesus did that, and Jesus immediately did this, and straightway Jesus did this. It's, it's an action. Now, Matthew, what he said. Luke, what he did. I mean, uh, Mark, what he did. Luke, what he said. When you get to the Gospel of Luke, you're going to see the compassion of Jesus. The emotion of Jesus. And then God is there. He's there. John 20, 31. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. All right. Now, obviously, I'm going to be able to read the sermon in the current tense. Why was it written? Uh, that, that it might be fulfilled. Matthew is a Jew, so he filled in the blank. And he presents Christ as the King, or as King, or Messiah, is another word you could put there. Who was it written to? It was written to the Jews. Now, there are several reasons why we know that. Uh, let me just give you two or three. When Matthew writes, he ties everything he says to the Old Testament. Remember, I told you last week the key word in the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew is seeing the Old Testament 
should he have known? How about the first thing? How else should he have known? I know that it's just complete showing, but he was a historian. He interviewed men. He interviewed all these people. Go back to Abraham and stop. And he goes back to the So easy to do. It's a couple chapters of days of God. I think you'll appreciate that. Look, look for that moving action. And look for what he teaches. He's teaching us not what Jesus said to us, but what he did. Father, we thank you for the day. I'm so grateful for the day that you teach us today. How that you do it. How precious it is. Lord, thank you for giving us those four things. Help us as we read and study and reflect to get to know 